Now here we are for another edition of Spooks, S-B-O-O-K-S. As before, uh, we've said before that uh, when the, the chief executive, as, as uh, Denzel Myrick likes to be called, uh, decided that we would split up every now and again and, and speak to authors, I, I got the short straw. So um, today I am with Carol Ramsey. Hello, Carol. Are you there? I am indeed here. Where are you? Well, I, I am in, in uh, you know, the, the uh, Skelton Estate down mm-hmm. I'm... in you know, yes, in, I'm in a, this rural splendour, you are in, where are you? I'm up in the Spooky Towers up on the West Coast. Yes. Now, Spooky Towers, there's a reason why you call it Spooky Towers, isn't there? It called Spooky Towers because the house is a is a centre of paranormal activity. And I'm not just talking about my writing style. There is actually a poltergeist in this house who goes by the name of Agnes. And uh, uh-huh. I, I did put it on Facebook during the week, but I was doing a wee, a wee clip for Facebook and I just happened to mention the poltergeist and the staffy dog who's also in residence. And there was this almost mighty clatter from upstairs so we just stopped recording at that point <laughs> yes i saw that <laughs> yes she, she wasn't so i mean it, it wasn't bad but it was just a wee sort of teddy out the pram type of of agnes <laughs> display of activity i thought yes oh, oh yes i mean she doesn't float about headless or anything like that or, or, or throw things at her but, if, at us, but every so often you just get a wee get a wee kick to remind you so it's not it's not called Spooky Towers simply because you're there. That's that's not the only reason. Nothing to do with me. It's been called Spooky Towers since my friend's father grew up and he lived in the house at the bottom of the street and he's now 86. And he remembers walking past this house when he was in primary school. And in those days, it was known as the Spooky House. Man, interesting. Mm-hmm. Yes, we could we could organise tours. We could organise ghost hunting tours. How do you think Agnes would take to that? I think she'd probably come out, you know, like the Telegirls or something like that. You know, I think she could be quite, <laughs> quite, an, quite an exhibitionist if she got going. Yes, I don't think. But did I don't you not, think she'd object? Did you not have, or am I making this up? Um, people from the Society for Psychical Research along, or, or something like that? No, am I making that up? Uh, you're 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 fifty percent correct. Uh, can I make a joke there? Yes, you used to be a journalist. You're fifty percent correct with your facts. <laughs> I, uh, I didn't no. mean to be. I only aim for twenty five percent. So I'm very sorry about that. It wasn't the previous people who owned the house, but the people before that. Um, yes, they had uh, Glasgow University, and then they set up a lot of recording equipment and stuff like that. So it is listed listed at the university as a centre of paranormal activity. But um, the, the people before me and myself know we we just let her go on with her whatever it is she's doing. She's fine. Okay. Well, all this talk about poltergeists and spooky terrors is, is all very well, but that's not why we're here. The Spooks listeners are here for one thing and one thing only, uh, but we'll get to Letitia Loveybod later on. Let's first talk about your books because your output is prolific and you've also written a lot of books. So but Both these what, things are what, true. Yes. <laughs> what but, have you got coming up? Yeah, but at the moment I'm in a, a state of permanent confusion. Now, I am... I think I've got to say that what I'm moaning about is absolutely nothing. 
Um, I mean, there are people out there suffering real hardship. You know, one of my friends lost a relative and there was five people allowed at the funeral. So that's that's the kind of baseline of, of how awful it is out there for, for some people. So although I say it's with a heavy heart, it's also with a degree of, of you know, I know the bigger picture is that I happen to have six books coming out this year and most of them are held now in a, in a big warehouse somewhere with the door locked and nobody can get their hands on them and what do you do for publicity and we've got all this the lunch the the big London launch that I was having has been cancelled and you know all this marvellous stuff that was going to happen is just not happening and and why you at three o'clock in the morning you think you know this is just rotten at the same time, you think, well, okay, this is an opportunity to do different things. So the the new book, the brand new hardback, came out at the end of February, and and that just sailed through because that was before you know, the virus really got going. And then last Thursday, the re-release of the first three books of the Anderson and Costello series. They've all been remodeled and recovered and got different bits at the front and etc. And they've done a beautiful job of them, Blackthorn Publishing. And and that has just kind of disappeared into the ether. And on the 6th yeah. of May, the uh, the hardback, uh, the paperback, sorry, original of The Sideman is coming out. And that was, you know, going to be launched with quite a lot of weight behind it. And I've had the publicity person on a lot this morning. And we're just doing a lot of articles. We're doing a lot of podcasts. We're just trying to get it out there. And, and it's good because it keeps you amused. But you just in the pit of your heart, you think, oh, you know, this is the timing of this is so bad. But anyway, yeah. it's that, yeah. it is what it is, you know. Well, there's a lot of people being hit, as you know, and as as you quite rightly pointed out, a lot of people are are, are worse off. But let's let's talk about the books um, now. That they're, they're available digitally, though, as well, aren't they? Uh, yes, they're all available in ebooks, and they're available in ebooks for the wonderful price of four pounds and seven pence. I right. don't know what the seven pence is for, but it's obviously important. That's that's your cut. The seven is that, pence. Is it seven pence? Oh, that's, a, that's a pay rise for me then. Yes, that's yours. So let's so let let's let's talk about now. The, the, the most recent one is the red red snow. That's true. Um, yes. And that's the hardback. So that came out uh, last week, you said. Uh, no, that came out uh, the last week in February, the twenty eighth of February. Last week February. That's right. That's right, and it, it managed to get in under the, the yeah. under the wire. So yeah, tell that us just, about that. That's that's an Anderson and Costello book. How how many is that you've done now? Um, I think that's see, this is where I get confused. I think it's number eleven of the Anderson and Costello books. There is a st- mm-hmm. I've written twelve, but there is the standalone in there. And at the moment, yeah. I'm putting the finishing touches on thirteen, and I'm researching fourteen. So I'm right. a wee bit confused, but as you know, that's not unusual for me. No, it's not. It's not even even a you know in, in, in matters other than books. Uh, so the eleventh uh, Anderson Abbott and Costello. I knew I was going to say that at one point, and I've ma- I've known you for years, and I've managed not to do it, <laughs> but I've done it now. <laughs> so the eleventh Anderson and Costello. Do you want to tell us about that one? It, it red, is, red. and um, you'll be glad to know that someone threw it at me yesterday uh, from across yeah, the room. Some... We, we were social distancing, but they threw it at me uh-huh. from across the room because I had uh, they had asked for a copy and I'd given them it to read, and uh, and she said, "You do realise it's about it's a book about people who are snowed in." 
I said to her, she said, and one of them was a serial killer. And I went, oh, sorry about that. <laughs> I, hadn't, I hadn't quite seen that that sort of correlation of, you know, there's an avalanche up up in a, a glen up north, a, a glen that I've made up called Glen Risk, which is sort of close to Glen Etive, but the, the next uh, the next glen over, if you like. And um, and there's an avalanche that in deep snow that cuts them off. So they're all in this, this little village and there's a maybe a serial killer about. Or, 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 or is there? That, that's the question that you don't know. So it's an oh, interesting cool. book. It, nothing, is, nothing is what it appears in that book. And then, of course, the next Glenn after that is uh, Glenn Miller. But that's that's a musical. So the um, what was the inspiration for that? Why did you, you know, what made you want to write something that was set in this 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 you know isolated location with, with the snow? I've, I do have a, a fascination for the fact that Scotland is very small and people think that because things are drivable, they are not remote, but it's a 20-minute change in the weather from being safe to being dangerous. And, Tell uh, me about it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you would know. Um, Glen Risk was, um, you'll correct me if I'm wrong here, I think they filmed some of Skyfall there. It was the Skyfall. Glenetive. Glenetive. Yes, yeah, I'm sorry to break it to you, but Glen Risk doesn't actually exist. It, Carol, it, I mean, it kind of it kind of does in my head and, and that's why I that's why I thought I better get your get 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 the correct information <laughs> from you here. So Glen Etive is the real one. And uh, Skyfall was formed there, filmed there, and they now have a lot of tourists coming down that little road and tents are so cheap that they just build, put a wee tent up and they stay there overnight and then they just go away and they leave the tent. And, and it's caused a, a lot of trouble, just people who don't know how to treat the countryside just trotting up and down that glen. But what I did want is the um, is that the, on the other side of that beautiful mountain, right at the front of Glenetive, I wanted to use that slope. So I've made Glen Risk the next the next Glen up. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And the, I, obviously, you you toured the area. You went up there, up there, and uh, you know extensively to have a look around, didn't you? Uh, absolutely, absolutely. But and we do have a motorhome, which is, you know, to me, it's, to me, it's actually it's a mobile writing office. I just love it. I take it all over the place and I, and I write in it. But we're very, um, we're quite sensible motorhome people. Some people are mad. And the one thing that attracts them to drive up a road is the sign, no caravans and no motorhomes beyond this point. And you just look into the distance and there they are, toodling along in a in a, a vehicle that's nine metres long. You just think, what are you doing? So anytime we're doing these sort of research trips, um, I drive up in a very small car and it's the small car that goes down the single track ro roads and up the wee areas and things like that. So we try to keep the, the disruption of the environment to a minimum. But of course, that's not the first book that you've written that's been set up that way because you mentioned The Sideman, which is, is coming out later in the year. And yes. um, it's it's set on the... Uh, the the 500 isn't it the north yeah, coast 500 on, on the north coast 500 with uh, spectacular bits on the side of Loch Lomond and then as we get onto the north coast 500 up over the Banachnabar uh, which is that 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 road with the hairpin bends and the one in five gradients 
And again, it says at the, the front, you know, don't go up here in the motorhome. Don't go up here if you get a caravan. Do not go up at all between the months of November and April. And there's there's people <laughs> racing up and down it, pulling caravans. And, you know, it, the actual Banakanaba means the uh, pass of the cattle. Um, but it's now translated of the smell of the burned out clutch. It's a... <laughs> it's a it's There's a, nothing it's a, worse than burning out your clutch. Oh, believe me, we, we had a, a Swedish tourist in front of us in, ta in just standing in the middle of the road in tears because they just didn't realise they got so far up. And then you think, oh, my goodness, you know. Yes, it's a, it's a, it's a wonderful road, wonderful scenery. But there's a rumour that the SAS used that landscape to train. And, uh, and you can see why. It's, it's remote and it's brutal. Well, there's quite a tradition up in the north of Scotland, of course, of, of uh, the military training, right? You know, during the Second World War, it was used extensively uh, well, you by, the, by the SIS. Yes, I was there. <laughs> I was there on those beaches. Um, so, you know, I, I can quite imagine um, that it does do. So that, that's the sideman. So that's, that's another Anderson and Costello. And you said that they have republished the first three, starting with Absolution, and that, that that was last week, wasn't it? Yeah, Absolution, Singing to the Dead, and Dark Water all were uh, sort of dressed up with a pretty new new cover on and, and put out there back into the world last Thursday. Yeah, and and very good covers they are as well. The, uh, they've done as, a. As they, Sorry, on you go. As I say, they have done a marvellous job on them. And just out, out of interest, uh, I did a, a thing where I've just flicked through the various covers from various countries. And now almost well, 12 years have passed, I think, since the first one was published, maybe a bit longer. You can see the, the change in the fashion in the, in the way the publishing world actually puts the front on the book. So it was quite, a, quite an interesting experience. Yes, and you, you posted that video on, on Facebook, didn't you? Yes, uh -huh. and uh, including the one that wasn't Absolution. I, I was going through Absolution, and one of them I showed was actually uh, Singing to the Dead in Italian, but I am I'm mortified to say that I only speak Glaswegian and English, any other language, and a wee bit of Latin, but any other language I just don't have, so I didn't recognise that it didn't say Absolution. <laughs> <laughs> now the what uh, the standalone, of course, was was Ake, which, as you know, is one that I'm I'm particularly fond of because I'm always raving about it. But then I'm always raving. So um, tell us about that because that that is that, you know that's the the Anderson and Costello books are, and I'm going to use the word the, the term police procedural because it's a catch-all term. But that that's what they are. But mosaic, not only a standalone but a complete break away from what you had done before. What made you want to do that? I I never wanted to be the author that writes the same book again and again and again. And, and I think you do start to see that with some people after a while. So I was getting to um, 10 and, the, and 11 and the Red Red Snow is my version of the Locked Room Mystery, which was a challenge I set myself because there is a dead body and there's no footsteps in the snow, which has yep. been done before, but that's a particular setup for me and it fitted and you can do that within the realms of the police procedurally police procedural quite quite happily and it fits what you cannot do in a police procedural is an unreliable narrator and I really wanted to have a go at that because you know how much I love the book the murder of Roger Ackroyd and I yes. wanted I wanted just to 
just to see if I could do that and pull it off. And, uh, and I'm glad to say that, that I did. But that's why it's a standalone, because there's no way you could do that book. But interestingly, the book I'm writing at the moment, which the working title is um, On an Outgoing Tide, is a police procedural with an unreliable narrator in it. Um, so I think I've learned from both those experiences and, and hopefully that the outgoing tide sort of stands testament to the fact that, that I'm getting a wee bit better at my craft. But Mosaic, um, in some ways, was the easiest book I had to write because it wasn't a police procedural. It's just two first-person voices all the way through the book. Uh, and, and trying to see the same the same situation for two different perspectives and then you realise they're actually talking about the same event but in a totally different way. So yeah, I, and, it, and and those those two voices just sat down and spoke to me and and it was it was fine. It was fine. And it sold out in hardback within I think a fortnight of it being published in America. It's done very well in America that book. Yeah, so it should is the, the, of all the books of yours that I've read that that is definitely my favorite. Um <laughs> So I mean, you mentioned uh, Roger Aykroyd there because you are a, a a big a big fan of Dame Agatha, aren't you? Yes, I will have no truck with Christy bashing. Do not Christy bash in my company, otherwise I'll just send the executives of ITV3 on to you. Because if it wasn't for Christy, they would they would have no programs. It would be Barnaby and Midsummer Murder twenty four seven. But you seem to have been spending your your time during lockdown, apart from you know churning out what looks like a book a week, um, by by watching uh, things because you, you're you're posing questions. Uh, I saw the other day that you posed three questions that seem to be puzzling you about uh, not just not just about the the, the Christie output, but other uh, daytime TV output. Yes, I to tell you the truth, I watch very little TV, but I find silence very distracting. So my the television is always on in the background while I'm working. And every so often I look up and that's why I don't really follow the plot of anything. And most of the time I don't actually know what's going on. Although I think with Midsummer Murder, that's not necessarily a bad thing. But but I do notice that Dr. Mark Sloan in um, uh, Diagnosis Murder, he never sits down and writes up his patient notes. And that's what he should be doing 40% of his time. He, he just tends to sign a document and then just walk away. And, and that's it. And then he's away solving a murder daily. I mean, I think he should be arrested. He must have something to do with it. Yes. But it did make me laugh when um, when it was, it, I said it was a marple, but it was actually a poirot when um, a, a young lady sat down and her, her the cushion that she sat on was damp. And, and Hastings said, you know, I'm going to offer her my hand in marriage as if those two things were actually connected. <laughs> <laughs> She has the will to sit in a damp cushion. Therefore, she's a woman of steel and I will make her well, my wife. I mean, he's, he's an honourable man, Captain Hastings. Maybe he just felt that, you know, it was the decent thing to do. Absolutely. But that that's, that was on um, the version of the mysterious affair at Styles and and how um, Hastings and Poirot meet for the, for the second time, how they get back together. And if you actually look at it, it is quite a document of, of the history of what was going on just at the, the tail end of the First World War and there's Belgian refugees in this country and they're trying to learn English. But basically, 
they just want to go home. You know, so it's, there is a wee bit of uh, historical sort of cultural significance in there as well. So I don't think they should be just mocked. They are of their time, but that's to their advantage as well as to their disadvantage. They're still relevant, you know. So that's me. I'm so, on my Christie high horse now. Well, no, 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 you know, so which is your favourite, Marple or Poirot? Marple. Definitely Marpo. I, I think Poirot, I would slap him after a wee while. Yes, I think he would be very annoying. <laughs> yes. uh, what about I, the standalones? Have you got a favourite of our standalones? Um, Endless Night. I'm not sure if that is. I think it is a standalone. I don't know if Poirot wanders in at the end, but that is a that is a very, very creepy book. It's a really evil book, that one. Yeah, that's a that's a wee nasty piece of work. That book, yeah, very very I good. Think, I think I've read that. I always had. That, I mean, I, I I like Miss Marple, but I always had a fondness for Tommy and Tuppence Beresford, um, and I, I read a few of them. I I think any woman who's called who allows herself to be called Tuppence should sit down and just have a wee <laughs> word for herself. Well, to be fair, she didn't really have the choice, you know, when she was given the name. <laughs> for, for two reasons. One, when she was given the name, she was a bit young. And two, she doesn't actually exist. So, you know, th these these are problems that are kind of insurmountable. But your connection to uh, to Christy goes beyond that because you actually play um, your own Christy-esque sleuth, don't you? Yes, I... And I'm I... talking about... Yes. Letitia Lovegod. If you can imagine, um, if you can imagine Miss Marple, if she suffered from various mental health disorders, then <laughs> I think you would reach Letitia Lovegod. Uh, I think Letitia is is rather fabulous in in many ways, with her sleuthing ability and her ability to um, lose her place in the script and indeed drop the script occasionally, but keep acting. <laughs> yes, but as as an aside to that. Um, there are various things going on in Spooky Towers at the moment and I am sorting through a, a lot, basically emptying the loft and the amount of of things that you find and you say, oh, this will do for Letitia Lovelybod. She could do with this dagger, this dried blood, these false teeth, these old glasses. Oh, here's a beard that we we had for the Santa Claus outfit. Let's use that. Oh, here's a peg leg that we used in the Pirates of Penzance. I'm sure Luffybod will need that for disguise at some time. So yes, basically, if you're involved in them carry-on sleuthing, the plays uh, where Letitia Lovelybod, I like to think, stars in, but other people might think differently, including the writer. Um, basically, you never chuck anything out your house because something will always come in useful. No, I think she does actually star in them. There's no, there's no way that, that even the writer can can uh, can argue mess up, with that. Mess up the script to be the way that <laughs> yes. I, I I have a lot of of your carry on sleuthing stuff stored away in my spare room at the moment, <laughs> including Trump the horse. Yes, uh, I, I was looking the, for Trump the horse because I think he should podcast to the nation. And I'm being quite serious about this. I think he should podcast the nation because his name is Trump. And I think <laughs> I think that that ginger-headed, blonde-headed Trump is a bit more sensible than some other Trumps that may be on the face of the planet. But I'm not being very particular about that. But I'm sure you, you have a nod at what I mean. Yes, yes. But of course, I have Spanky as well. So 
who's also I've, I've heard that, but you can get uh, you can get inoculated against Spanky. And, yeah, um... no, no, keep keep calm and keep Spanky. That's that's the motto here. So what? So you're 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 writing a new one just now, whilst in lockdown. Yeah, seventy five thousand words into it, and as yet, it makes not one iota of sense. Okay, but isn't that quite normal? It's quite normal for you. Uh, I know Lynn Anderson refers to it as the muddle in the middle. I, I refer to it as the muddle the entire way through. And then I, I I take out all the good bits and I reshuffle them and then I put them round the right way. And hopefully, hopefully that'll work. Hopefully. I have never <laughs> discovered, I have never discovered how to write a novel properly. I just don't have no idea how to do it because I write tend to write the good bits and then I join them together, which I believe is how P.D. James used to write novels. Right. Um, and that's the only thing in common between my writing and P.D. James. <laughs> but everybody has has their own way of writing it. Personally, you know, every bit of my novels are are, are good. So um, I've, heard, I've heard you say that <clears throat> before. Uh-huh. <laughs> but it's just my personal view. I'm sure there are many people who, who have a maybe, different view of it. Maybe, maybe I should have used the word pivotal. You know those pivotal <laughs> moments in a in a novel where you think that that has to be like that, and that has to happen about there. I'll write that bit, you know, and then I'll write that bit, and then that bit, and then but I have you, to see what happens in between, which which leads to total yeah, it leads to total chaos and disaster. But it makes me happy. But, but the other normally, no, on you go, go. I was just to say, it might be the fact that I write um, because my my day job is quite demanding, and it can be, it can spill over a lot into my my sort of own time, if you like. If I have an hour free, I'll sit and write a bit, and therefore I I do that in very sort of Apache way, as in Apache, not as in the 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 Inuit American tribe not not apache and then uh, then i sort of then i sit down when i've got two or three days off and i will make sure that i have those days off and then i will start at the front and write it to the end so i think it's it's maybe dictated to me that i write that way because of my rather a uh, zany lifestyle yeah because that's that actually that's what i was going to ask you um because you you do have a very demanding day job. You you were the um, the youngest person to um, graduate as as an osteopath. You were four years of old, uh, four years of age, apparently. Uh, so, you know, and, and that is quite demanding. How do you fit it all in? I, I never do any housework, as you might have noticed. Um, <laughs> And before before you're a published author, you're lazy. But see, the minute you're a published author, then all that becomes acceptable. It's interesting, that isn't it? Yeah. So okay. so I'm I'm quite happy with that. I I do admit that I'm very disciplined. Even in lockdown, I sit down and I I write and I do everything. Uh, the night before, I sit and make a list of everything that has to be done the following day, and I won't go to my bed until it's all done. I'm I'm quite rigid about that so you I mean and I keep saying this because the, the, your output is, is incredible um, and I, I wish I could get a fraction of it and and a, a fraction of your application as well would do me some good too um, do you actually enjoy writing 
I enjoy I enjoy those first bits where I'm just writing all those pivotal minutes. I, I write I, I like that. I like creating the characters. I like going out walking the dog and talking to the characters in my head, which is why to me they are alive in a strange kind of way. Uh, I don't enjoy the more journeyman bits where you just sit down and and just you know do the do, do the sort of A to B to C to D. I don't I don't enjoy that quite so much. But if you sit and do that with Midsummer Murders on the telly, suddenly your novel becomes fascinating. You know, so you're all right. If you seem to have it in for Midsummer Murders, do you not like <laughs> Midsummer Murders? I, I, to tell you the truth, I do like it. I just don't understand it. I don't understand why Midsummer murder, why Midsummer hasn't been cordoned off as some sort of because the, <laughs> the murder rate there is incredible. It's on this face of the planet. It's only secondary to Moscow, Colombia, and Cabot Cove. That's the only places with a higher murder rate than Midsummer. What is going on down there, Barnaby? Get your finger out. Get it sorted. But the same could be said for, what's the name of the character Angela Lansbury plays in, in Murder, She Wrote? Yeah, that's Cabot Cove. Yeah, but, so, but the same could be said for her. No matter where she went, there was Jessica, a murder. Jessica now, really, Fletcher. She, Jessica Fletcher, that's right. She, she, she should, should have been be locked arrested. down even before it was stylish. She should she be arrested think. because if she <sighs> it says, come and appear in my show, guaranteed you'll be uh-huh. dead before the first advert break. Yeah. Some yeah. niece or nephew says, Auntie Jessica, come on to our house for Thanksgiving. You know damn well, as soon as before that turkey is even out the oven, somebody's going to pop their clogs. Now, you know, she's like typhoid Mary. It just you would have her you would have her locked it, away in isolation. Are- there's also multiple sins against uh, fashion sense in that show with the shoulder pads and the shoes and the big hair, you know. I mean, a lot of them do it deserve was, to die just from that point of view. It, it was the 90s. I think we can, I think we can let them away with that. <laughs> but let's, I mean, it, you, you, were, you were born in Govan, but we won't hold that against you. And uh, I saw that uh, you were um, expelled from the brownies for uh, insubordination. What what uh, what caused that? Well, two things. One, I've always looked upon the brownies as a sort of form of the Nazi youth. You know, I just I've just got no time for that. Wearing a uniform and do as you're told for no apparent reason. I just I just. And I was a bit like that at school as well. If if a teacher was telling me something that I wanted to know, then that was fine. If they were just telling me because they were a teacher and I was a pupil, then no. You know, and, and I was voted head girl by my peers and the teachers overturned it. And they just went, oh, no, her should be too much trouble. This will be of no surprise to you whatsoever. But the other thing is that my sister was like the alpha brownie. You know, she was like storming Norman with the amount of badges she had. She had badges for absolutely everything. I got pet care and then I get expelled. And the pet care I got was for looking after a worm. <laughs> I mean, did the worm have a name? Um, I can't actually remember, but when you're living in a tenement in Govan, you know, and my parents were quite right, we can't, you can't have pets in this flat. You know, once you go and you get your own place, you can have as many dogs and cats as you want. But until there's someone at home and, you know, da, da, da. So, so that was all OK. So I was only allowed a worm. And then I graduated to guinea pigs and rabbits once we moved. But, yeah, yeah that, that was my experience of the brownies. I just saw no point in someone telling me to run about. Just stop it, you know. 
but you you could have gone into you could have become a vet, couldn't you? But you, you chose the the osteopathy route. Um, I had a in those. I don't know if they still do nowadays, but you had to have an interview to get into veterinary school in those days. And I went up for my interview, and they just got on to the subject of um, of of my health. And I happened to mention that I, I had a peculiar back, and it was very odd. And they said, mm, they said, well, you know, it costs the government, like you said, something like quarter of a million pounds to train you. Will you be able to sustain this as a career? And that woman was absolutely right because it was the same back trouble that then led to me many years later fracturing my spine, which ended up to me ended up with me being in hospital, and that started me writing the first book. The first book, Absolution, starts off with a girl lying in hospital and she's got no idea what's happened to her. So so that all came kind of full circle. Do I regret for a minute not becoming a veterinary surgeon? Absolutely not. It was the wrong uh, job for me because I would be stabbing people and punching them in the face. on a day. I would be arrested by now. You know, I, I don't have any patience with anybody who who mistreats an animal either willfully or just through ignorance, you know, just as, as you know, and you and I, I think, agree on this. We've, we have absolutely yes, no time yes, for it. Do. Yes, we do. Even when Mickey barks during a recording, as he just did, I don't know if you heard him. I, I did, but I just took that as he was in agreement, you know. Yes, yes, yes. He always makes a guest appearance. <laughs> I don't know how he knows I'm doing it, but he always seems to make a guest appearance. So you've got Matilda, of course. Um, and how is she, is she enjoying having you on, on lockdown? Uh, yes, she is, because I think she views it as a sort of 16-hour buffet that when the humans are around, there'll always be something to eat. But she is a, a remarkably cheery wee dog. I mean, everything in a staffy's life is wonderful. They don't deserve this reputation they have. You know, they are just the most cheery, most obedient, most lovely dogs. We, we've been doing some dog roundup in our area because I think a lot of the dogs in lockdown are sort of escaping. And, uh, you know, Matilda just would never think of escaping. You're in more danger of tripping over her every two minutes. Just, you know, you can leave all your doors and gates open. She'll go nowhere. She'll be two feet, you know, two inches behind your heel at all times. She's a marvellous wee dog. She's a lovely dog. She really is. She really is a lovely dog. But there we are, I think. Uh, so let's have a, a wee quick roundup of, of the books. We have The Red Red Snow uh, is available in hardback, uh, and I'm sure you'll be able to get it somewhere um, it delivered, but it's, uh, it's also available digitally, correct? I think the digital one is coming out soon. I think it's hardback, hard, and then yeah. there's a few weeks delay for, for digital. Um, and, I, you know, you do think about that, that is it, is it ethically correct to promote um, hardback purchase when somebody is going to deliver that? You know what I mean? Uh, and, and I was actually thinking about that that this morning, um, why, why it would be lovely if people went out and bought it. Um, d- download it if you can. I think I think there's enough yes. stress and strain in the world at the moment without people you know, having books delivered or just wait and we're all going to have a big sort of launch party when the world all opens back up again and then there'll be a big, well, hey, let's go out there and buy the stuff, you know? But the re-releases, um, they are available digitally now, starting the di- with Digitally straight away and paperback straight away, but I'm sure the paperback was locked in some warehouse somewhere. I don't know if they quite got yeah. on to yeah. go on to anywhere before the big lockdown happened. And it kind of remains to be seen what's going to happen on the 6th of May. I think that, again, is going to be a, a, a digital thing. 
and uh, and we'll just wait until the the actual print copy print copy comes through. Yeah, Interesting the times. Can still reach. What about audio? Have you got any of them available in audiobooks? They're all available in audiobooks, um, absolutely, and uh, I'm sure they'll available. They, they you can get them through those things that I don't really understand because that's pushing my technology a wee bit. Uh, I get them on CD on the you know the eight or nine CDs that you get in the lovely file, right. and uh, if I'm listening to them on audio, that that's what I do. I, I can't do that other thing. That's too complicated for me. The audible thing. Uh huh. That's too. That's too complex. Yeah. Other, I but have people. Those, I have people to deal with that sort of thing for me. People, yes, <laughs> yes, you have staff. I have staff. Uh, but that, so that's great, available digitally and on audio. And I can thoroughly recommend all of all of Carol's books. And I've got to thank Carol for coming along today and uh, and being part of this special edition of Spooks. Spooks, Spooks from Spooky Towers. Spooks, Spooks with a B. That's right, from Spooky with a P Towers. Thanks very much, Carol. Thank you, Douglas. Douglas Skelton was in conversation with author Carol Ramsey. This episode of Spooks was a Houses of Steel production.